friends, it's great to be together. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we can come in a room right now and open your word and be reminded of things that are true so that we may discern. I pray you would teach us what we need so that we might experience on this earth a redemptive sanctification that will be a blessing to our souls and a glory to you and a good to those who don't know you. So would you use this series, would you use today, would you use this moment just to wash over my heart again and the hearts of friends in this room that they may know you and the power of your kindness and resurrection so that we can no longer walk among the dead but experience life indeed. Thank you for grace. Thank you that you know every single one of us where we've come from and what you intend for us is good. Help us to know that this morning and honor you with a right and full response in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series called This is the Life. What we're doing is we're looking at the book of Proverbs and we're seeing what God intends for us to experience um, as we walk with him and know him. The, the life of wisdom. It's the life that's skilled. It's a life that is set apart, a life that restores the glory that sin and going in a way that seemed right to us, but it leads to not an evolution of man, but a de-evolution, a, a, a declination towards a loss of glory. And God in his kindness, as a loving father, is calling us back. Now, let me just set this up and say something. We're going to today talk about something called discernment. A skilled life is a discerning life. But I want to let you know that I'm not talking about, first of all, the spiritual gift of discernment. Okay, The spiritual gift of discernment is um, something that, if you're studying in 1 Corinthians, uh, specifically chapter 12, uh, you would see it pop up. There's lots of spiritual gifts. Each one of us has received a spiritual gift. Sometimes the gifts are there permanently in your life. Um, other times, they're there for a season. I don't think there's anything that God can't do today. None of us do. We believe that God is alive and, 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 um, and is not restricted by any chronological uh, moment. What God does, he always does for his glory. And there is something that can be described as the spiritual gift of discernment. Now, it's interesting to me. A lot of times I talk to folks and they go, well, I've got the gift of discernment. And what they really um, often mean is that uh, I'm real judgmental. That's what they mean. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I will say... This, the spiritual gift of discernment, it, it specifically pops up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it just comes right after, it says some have been given the gift of prophecy, some of discernment. Some have been given the gift of tongues, some to interpret tongues. And what some people have done is they said really what the gift of discernment was, you have to understand 1 Corinthians 12 was written when we didn't have a New Testament. And so God had started a new work. He had promised that his spirit would remind his apostles of all things and because his apostles would be reminded of all things in the spirit, they would be giving revelation that was infallible and perfect and inerrant. And so when men would speak and say, thus saith the Lord, people with the spiritual gift of discernment were there to protect the church, to go, that doesn't sound like the spirit of God. And so primarily they were there to correct and admonish false prophets I believe the spiritual gift of discernment was a little bit beyond that. Some people, by the way, say that's why the gift is no longer active because we no longer need the kind of prophecy that was needed in that day because now we've got our Bible. We don't need a voice because we've got a verse. To quote Jim Elliot. 
And, um, and I would just say the spiritual gift of discernment is something that we all want to have. We should all discern the spirits. We're called in the New Testament to test the spirits. And the way you test the spirits is to make sure that the spirit is saying things consistent with what the spirit has already said. God is not the author of confusion. One of the things that you see me do sometimes here is I think I use the spiritual gift of discernment, which any wise teacher should have when I rightly divide the word of truth to help you understand certain things. I'll give you one right after it says, some have been given the gift of prophecy, some the gift of discerning spirits, some the gift of tongues, some the ability to interpret tongues. And I've taught a lot here about tongues specifically, the gift of tongues. It's really one of those things like, oh my gosh, what is that? Well, in the Bible, it was always a known language, part of a dialect. The idea that there is a prayer language is completely without merit in scripture. There is no ecstatic tongue that is necessary for you to have a deeper intimacy with the Father. And what Paul was saying is that some people can interpret tongues that they've never understood, dialects that they've never learned. They flunked out of honors French like I did, and yet God might let them understand French. If a French tongue is being spoken, there was, a, there was a reason for that in that context. If you want to know more teaching on that and have a spirit of discernment, you can listen to our teaching on all of that kind of stuff. It really matters because there's a lot at stake right there. I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about something else. In the book of Proverbs, when he talks about discernment, he's teaching you not about the spirit of discernment, but about having a spirit that discerns or having a heart that knows right from wrong. It's the entire purpose of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter one, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. This is what it says. Look, the next verse, to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding that you might know specifically um, how to receive instruction in wise behavior. And then it goes on to say that you might have a life because you're wise, that it's defined by righteousness and justice and equity. The book of Proverbs is written, the scripture says, to those that are naive and to those that, that, um, that need knowledge and instruction. And man, do I ever need knowledge and instruction? This is a tough world. And it's, um, it's filled with lots of opportunities to make choices. There was a, a group of folks who studied uh, human behavior and at Cornell University, and they said that in America, we make 270 different choices a day just about food alone. They said the average American has to make 35,000 cognitive decisions a day. Now, I don't know how they came up with that number, but 35,000 times a day, you've got to discern what's the best thing for me to do. And so if there is a book that God has given us that would help us know what is right and true, I want it. I could have used one this Tuesday night. Um, the, the, my, my friends at Promise Keepers asked me to fly down to Tampa and do a little interview with uh, Coach Dungey. And, um, and just talk about manhood and, and things of that sort. And so I jumped on a plane late on Tuesday and flew down to Tampa Bay. And uh, Tampa Bay's got a Marriott right there in the airport. So I got in late and I, I actually went up, checked in my room. I went down and met a couple of friends who came to see me uh, in Tampa that I was getting together with. We had a late meal together. About 1.30 at night, I go back up to my room. 
And um, if you're like me, you know, and mama's not around and you have a chance to kind of set the thermostat yourself, right? And not pay the bill. It's like, how low can this baby go right here, right? Let's hang meat in this thing. And so um, I put it pretty low. Now, most hotels, the AC doesn't work really well, but this one, it did. I got back up there after one o'clock and I walked in. I'm like, that is crazy. It's way too cold, right? And mama ain't here to cuddle with. And so uh, I go to the closet. There's no, there's no particular blanket in there to lay on top of my very thin comforter. And so I, I go over and I look, and this is what I saw, okay? Right there beneath the TV is the chest of drawers. And so I go, okay, um, if the extra blanket is not up there in the closet, it must be in the chest of drawers. So let's just zoom in specifically on the right. I was walking in from the door, and there's that chest of drawers. And there's a drawer on the right. That's what I saw. And so I leaned over. You have to understand this. I leaned over, and I think, okay, they're not going to put the blanket in the top. That's where I'm, they're going to put my stuff if I'm there for an extended period of time. So I, I go to open the bottom door. And I reach down and I try and pull it out. It didn't come, so it's kind of stuck, I think, off the rails. So I go to pull it, you know? And as guys do, if it doesn't work, just work harder. <laughs> well, it wasn't chest of drawers. Here's a side angle of what happened, okay? And it just so happens that that point right there was the same height as that head right there. And when I jerked it, it was like, boom, and I'm back on the bed. I mean, hard. And all of a sudden, I felt warmth. <laughs> and it wasn't the AC. And I went like this. You know, heads bleed and faces bleed more than other parts of your body. And I'm like, oh, no. 1.30 at night, Tampa Marriott Airport. I'm, I, who's going to sew me up? I go, I look in the, the bathroom. I've got blood gushing out. And and, um, and so I you know, wet a, a rag as quickly as I can, and I, I put it on my head, and I go lay down, and literally for two hours, you know, I just kept as much pressure on it as I could. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm filming tomorrow morning a video with Coach Dundee. It's going to look like I was shaving my forehead and cut myself. <laughs> and it was a problem. Right? I, I wish I would have known that was a pull, not a slide. I could have discerned. Right? If you look closely, in fact, like who looked closely at 1.30 in the morning, you see little hinges there on the right, which is a tell. But because there was frost on my eyelids, I couldn't see clearly, and I bled out. Now, that's kind of a silly, stupid mistake, but I'm not kidding. I was laying there in that bed with my head throbbing and just praying and saying sweet things and um, <laughs> about how stupid I was and, and frustrated I was. And uh, a couple of things came to mind. I was thinking about this weekend, right? It says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse two, it's not good for a man to be without knowledge, right? Uh, and he who hurries his footsteps errs. I was in a hurry to get warm. It says then next, the foolishness of man subverts his way. And then his heart rages against God. You ever done that? You ever been somebody who just, you just hurried to make a decision and discern what was right in your own mind and then it just didn't work out well for you? And you're like, God, how could you let this happen? And God is, is there and he's just saying, I, I wish it hadn't happened. Three different times in the last probably six or seven days, one of my kids and I, we've had some conversations where I kept actually admonishing him and saying, hey, listen, if you want my take, this is what I would do. And every time he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it just so happened that all three of these decisions kind of came to roost in a very short period of time. And every time dad's counsel 
would have been really helpful and helped him miss out on what I would call is natural appropriate life consequences that I loved him and didn't want him to experience. But because he was like, yeah, 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 I got this. If you don't mind, I, I, I let him go. I mean, it's not like I have a three-year-old who said, dad, I'm going to go play, you know, with a doll in the street. As a parent, you don't let somebody do that when their decision puts their life at risk. But certainly in some of these, I'm like, okay, man, we're going to start to let you live and be a big boy. And each time I just sat there and I kind of looked at him and I just said, you know, and you know, what's so great about being a dad is so many times when I'm kind of looking at my kids and I give them good advice because I love them and I get the, you know, the father is always right behind me, gently, you know, puts his hand on my shoulder and he just goes, you know, you and I have some of these conversations a lot still to this day. You like that? You like that? You wish you wish you had the ability to discern the people at Cornell. They said that we make a lot of decisions sometimes through impulsiveness. And as I already showed you, impulsiveness is not a great idea. According to Proverbs 19 two. according to Ecclesiastes chapter five, it says he who makes haste with his feet errors. It's not good for a man to be without knowledge. The proverb says, don't be hasty. Indeed is what Ecclesiastes says. So impulsiveness is sometimes how we make decisions, a uh, compliance when we just stop and look and just go, Hey, what's everybody else want? What's going to be the least, um, resistance that I experience. If I make certain choices, compliance is how we sometimes make decisions delegating. When we let somebody else make decisions for us, that's the closest by the way, to the biblical idea. But delegating really is just saying, I, I'm frozen. I don't want to make a decision. I'm going to let you make a decision for me. If the you is a sovereign, benevolent, kind, all-wise God, that might be a good idea. But a lot of times what we do is we delegate to others, and those others don't always have our best interests in mind or have the knowledge that a sovereign, benevolent, all-knowing God does. Um, avoidance and deflection, you do that sometimes. You just kick the can down the road and don't really want to make a decision. And then there are other more appropriate ways. The one that I'm going to talk about today is, is the one that scriptures implore us toward. It's, it's yielding. It's, it's not leaning on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledging him. Because this is a world full of decisions. I, I love Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one through eight, right? Because it talks about how there is an appointed time for everything. There's a time for all kinds of stuff. There's a time for everything under heaven to happen. Sometimes it's a time to give birth and sometimes it's a time to die. You don't have a lot to do with either one of those, but those things are there. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. Now you better know when you're supposed to plant and when you're supposed to uproot. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. There's a time to prosecute and there's a time to forgive that person who killed your brother. How do you know what time it is? A discerning person would know. There's a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, the scripture says, and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance, a time to throw um, uh, stones, and there's a time to gather stones. Those are two very different things. There's a time to embrace, and there's a time to shun embracing. You know what's really interesting um, is that the Proverbs spend a lot of time early on talking about when it's time to embrace and when it's time to not embrace. The Proverbs in chapter two and chapter five and six and seven and nine, five times uh, at least in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, it talks a lot about when to shun embracing. Because the, the sexual urge in all of us and the relational need in all of us is so strong. Sex is not a problem, but sex 
used inappropriately is a problem. And God is therefore trying to tell you, I tell you, you got to watch how you use this thing because it can be really damaging in your life and you got to be able to discern. Listen, in our society today, things that used to be unthinkable are now unquestionable. In other words, you can't even question whether or not somebody should do certain things or you're seen as an intolerant, hateful bigot. And I'm going to beg of you to listen to what God says so you can discern what choices you should make despite how strong your feelings are and so that you can discern whether you should speak and knowing what a loving, benevolent, all-wise, kind God has shown you. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. The word discern in English is actually um, a compound of two Latin words that mean um, to basically sift apart. Dis, which means a uh, apart, and cisnerne, which is the word which means to, to sift. And so you're, you're breaking something down. You're seeing how all the pieces fit together. That's what the word discern means. It's the ability to recognize or define and identify and separate what's going to lead to good and what's going to lead to evil. It's insight. It's understanding. Then the noun means when somebody has the noun or possesses discernment, it means that they have the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. Isn't that great? Miriam says it this way. It says, it's a power to see what is not evident to the average mind. What if I told you today that God wanted you to not have an average mind, which is to say a natural mind, but to have a mind that is above average, a supernatural mind, and it would help you get through life so you can know when to slide and when to pull? Because this world's hard, isn't it? There's a lot going on out there. I was thinking this week, uh, as I had lots of time in my bed Tuesday night with my head throbbing about different things. And I, I thought about the Geico ad. It's one of my favorite ads on TV. Geico's doing a pretty good job, are they not? They've got some funny ads. And, and the ad that came to my mind is the one where um, the kids are out there and it's around uh, a little horror show, right? A horror movie is kind of what the thing is going on. And so they're all sitting there and, and they, it starts with a haunted house is kind of looking there. And one person looks at the other person and says, let's hide in the attic. And the other person goes, no, in the basement. And then the blonde goes, why can't we just get in the running car? And then the guy goes, are you crazy? Let's go hide behind the chainsaws. <laughs> and so when they get there behind the chainsaw, of course, there's the guy, you know, that's got the mask on. He kind of looks at him kind of so defeated, like, oh, come on, man. And then the narrator comes on over this whole thing and says, when you're in a horror movie, you make horrible decisions. <laughs> Don't you? You ever notice that in a horror movie? Like, don't go in the closets, right? Why are you going in the basement? Right? And so anyway, they scream and they run out. And the last thing you hear, you know, uh, in the commercial is, let's head to the cemetery. And it's just hilarious. Right? But when you're in a horror show, you make horrible decisions. Well, let me set you up again. This is, this is a bit of a horror show. All right? If you haven't noticed, this world is a bit of a horror show. Sometimes you can be sitting in your bedroom, in your underwear, eating a bowl of ice cream, watching Sunday Night Football. I mean, and that's not funny. Sometimes you're walking down the street and get gunned down. Sometimes you can be born into a family where daddy molests you. Sometimes you can live in a country where there's a despot who's just oppressive to you. Sometimes you can make a covenant with somebody and they break it. I mean, 
And, and you know what happens a lot of times? When we live in a world like that, we make horrible decisions. See, there's three different kinds of evil in the world. There's what's called natural evil, which is, is just so you know, God, God's not surprised that this world has trouble. He tells you there's going to be trouble in the world, and, and, and so don't be overwhelmed. Take heart, have courage, because I can explain how we got here, and I can explain how to get you out, and I can explain why you're here still in the midst of it if you want to listen. But natural evil are, are some of the things that are just true of, of um, the fallen earth that we live in. We live in a world that has... Uh, well, characteristics both in nature and in the nature of those that inhabit it that you're going to suffer from. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, violence, disease. There is spiritual evil, which um, exists. We know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. The reason that this world is the way that it is is because um, God in his um, providence has allowed for a season this earth to be largely under the influence um, of evil. And there's nothing you can do about that except resist it and take the means that God's given you to not be a slave to it, which gets to the third kind of evil, natural, spiritual, and moral. And moral evil is really what the book of Proverbs when it talks about discernment, is talking about. It's not the New Testament spiritual gift of discernment. And what the reason that Proverbs is there is not so that you can make enough good discerning moral decisions so that you won't face judgment because it's very clear that there is a God that says that the standard isn't you being so good that you're good enough that he embraces you and accepts you. And so we're not teaching what is commonly thought of in certain theological circles today is moral therapeutic deism, which is that we're just kind of going to give you a therapy or a healing because we're going to teach morality and God's not here. So we just got to make the best we can of it. It's not some enlightened rationalism that's going to clep you out of all that's wrong with the world and clep you into heaven. That doesn't exist. The first thing you need to discern is that there is a holy and righteous and perfect and beautiful God, and that this world is the way it is because this holy, righteous, perfect, and beautiful God has revealed to us that this is not his world because those that he gave stewardship of this world rejected him as sovereign over it and said, we'll make somebody else king. And then we see, because we've gone to a different spirit that is not holy but is evil, that what is now present is not natural beauty and goodness. And there is a lot of immorality and it leads to death. What Proverbs is talking about, what I'm teaching on today, is basically the idea of discerning how to make choices underneath the kindness of God. In this world that is racked with the evil that is in this world, how can you experience as much of God's kindness and provision as possible. He wants to help. I had a couple of things I was going to do. I had some obits that I was going to read um, about people whose life did not end well because they did not discern. They weren't like um, Solomon, who when he became king, and, and all of us are in a sense sovereign and kings of our own life, um, and he had the chance to make a choice. He just said, God, if you could give me anything, what I really want, because I don't really know how to go out or come in. I want, to, I want for you to give your servant the gift of understanding. That, that idea of understanding is almost like the verb of to discern. 
And Solomon said, I want to discern between good and evil so that I can be a good leader and judge of your people. And that's exactly what you should say. God, make me somebody who discerns right and wrong so I can love this wife of my youth, so I can lead these children, so I can act as an independent single outside of my parents' home, how to live in this world and not add to the moral evil that's here. That seems right to me, but boy, it ends to death. I, um, and then yesterday I got an email from a friend and um, it was the obit of this sweet young woman. She's 42 years old. Her name is Shonda Williams. And this is a picture that her family posted. I want to read this to you because I want to make a case for why, again, you need to listen with me. This is Shonda's life. Uh, Her family uh, has a writer in it, and they decided to post her a bit. And I want to just read to you. This is what happens when you live a non-discerning life. Shonda never really had an occupation. Shonda went to school with this friend of mine. The family wrote something we, none of us really thought about or realized until we sat down to write her obit, because for the last 26 years, she lived her life as a slave to her addiction and the lifestyle that comes with it, doing whatever she could to, to get by, living day to day with no solid plan for the next. You're going to recognize yourself in this. And some of you are just like, I discern that I'll just kind of figure it out tomorrow. And a loving father said, that's not a good plan. You need to begin with the end in mind. You need to realize that you're going to reap what you sow. And just because you're not experiencing immediate pain for your choices that are not discerning, it doesn't mean that you're not sowing seeds that are going to come to roost and bear fruit that's painful in your life. Shonda lived that way. She always had hopes and dreams for her future as well as the ability to fulfill any of them. It was there for her. But they always took a back seat to what demanded her most immediate attention, her lifestyle, her choices, and the company she kept. Shonda had a heart of gold. We saw that. Anyone from her childhood would confirm that. And even the people that knew her through her addiction would say that they saw in her something different. She was funny, charismatic. She was selfless. She was loyal. She always tried to find the positives. But she also turned to other things to block out negatives. Drugs offer an escape from the pain or shame of the mistakes that she had made because she wasn't discerning. When she was high, nothing mattered. She was numb to reality. See, that's one of the problems with um, the choices we make to just distract us in, in fantasy for just a moment is that the problems are still there. We just don't feel them. That's why leprosy is the most insidious of all diseases. Leprosy is not really in itself a, a flesh-eating um, Bacteria, the bacillus of, of leprosy, which is a picture of sin in your life in scripture, is, is really, it's, it's a disease that just kills the nerve endings. And what happens with a leper is they no longer feel the, uh, the pain that you and I feel. Like, for instance, if we're sweeping a room, we're making thousands of little micro adjustments constantly with that broom so that it doesn't just stay in one spot. But lepers don't have any sense of pain in that affected area. And so they never adjust they never adjust the broom and they look down, they go, dang, dang, look at that blister. But because the blister doesn't hurt, they don't tend to it the way you and I tend to it when there's pain. And so they continue until all of a sudden that pain gets infected or actually the, the, the wound gets infected and the next thing you know, because it doesn't really bother them, they just give superficial treatment to it and it starts to slowly eat and wither away at their flesh. It becomes flesh eating, that necrotic dead tissue. 
It's why so many folks that have addictions never really grow up because what most of us do when we face problems is we learn and discern that it's not a good problem or we, we start to make adjustments and handle it with the resources that we have in this world. But people who just start to medicate at a young age, they never grow up because they numb themselves from their pain. And they're sometimes a 46-year-old a, a in a, a 15-year-old's body because for the last 30 years, they've just been medicating. She was numb to reality and able to avoid any accountability for her actions. Her intent was never to leave her child or her children behind with other family responsible to raise them, but that's what she did. She just got lost in the lifestyle of chasing the next tie. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and months turned to years. Before she knew it, her girls were grown. Thanks to a few high points along the way and a lengthy jail stay, countless rehab efforts throughout her life, they, they did get a chance to see a glimpse of their sober mother. You see, this is one of the things that scripture says is just be sober in your thinking. I want you to think clearly to be able to discern, sift apart what is real and what is wrong. What's an illusion, what looks life-giving, but you see where it ends. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had a father who had lived through your high school and could put his hand on you and go, I might suggest what if he could live with your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and he wants to go well with you? Not so you'd be saved, but to save you from the moral evil which wages war against your soul. Who wouldn't want that kind of God? Well, you have him. It goes on to say, she chose of her own free will to experiment socially at first with drugs, and in turn, she became addicted. But in the beginning years ago, this young, naive woman had no idea what addiction even was or the kind of hold that drugs take on you. The people, knew, uh, the people she knew doing it hadn't hit rock bottom yet. You see, she, she saw them, and, and she didn't learn from um, them because it was just the party lifestyle. Watch this. She had not witnessed friends or family losing everything or seeing them lying in a casket. It was still just a form of partying. What's wrong with that? Shonda's drug use evolved from Xanax. You see, you were thinking something else, weren't you? Oxycontin or anything else that would just numb her from the pain of her reality or just being dope sick to eventually other drugs that did take her life. To say that Shonda's gone too soon is most definitely accurate. But to say she passed unexpectedly is definitely not the case. See, some of you are marching towards death and we're just not surprised when your marriage breaks down. You're marching towards an unwanted pregnancy. You're marching towards a future abortion. You're, you're marching towards thinking there's no healing for your past abortion. And so you're gonna be dysfunctional in your relationships and believe God can't heal you and believe you can't have your life put together. And we're not surprised when you have dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship when like a dog you go back to your vomit. She knew she technically had died multiple times in the past and had been brought back to life by EMTs. But that did not scare her more than going without the drugs. When family urged her to go to a detox rehab in the days prior to her death, she pushed back, insisting she didn't need it. I want to tell you what, every week I spend my week just begging people to understand that there's, there's a way to detox from your flesh, to discern good and evil, and I'm begging you to come in. She thought she had it under control, just like so many of us do before we finally reach that breaking point and clothe ourselves in humility. Or maybe she knew she had no more control and she was just ready to give up the fight. Some of you guys are there. 
Either way, her family feels the need, watch this, to speak the truth surrounding the loss of Shonda. Silence would mean Shonda's death was in vain, but if one person's life is saved by her story, we would tell it a million times. Wow. They say speaking the truth, no matter how horrific, and they go on to talk about it, is necessary. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's why we, those of us who by the grace of God have discerned that there is a God, that he is there, that he has saved us and brought us back into relationship with him, we've got to speak because the ultimate result, and I think I quoted um, an English philosopher who lived a couple of centuries ago, his name is Herbert Spencer, and he said, the ultimate result of shielding men from the effects of folly is to fill the world with fools. And so you've got a loving God who just doesn't want the world to be filled with fools, especially those that say they're part of his family. And so he begs you to listen. I'm gonna ask you just to listen to this because you're gonna see this. This is true all throughout scripture. There, there's a movie called The Heart of Man that, that kind of came and went. It wasn't in the theaters. It was, it, it's it's um, a bit of a documentary, but what they did in the side of this documentary where they were letting men who were seduced by what is destroying so many of us, men and women alike, pornography, which is more addictive, anybody who's looked at it and anybody who's looked at the, stat, the statistics around it and the, and the science around it will say even more ad- addictive than heroin and what it does to the human experience. And so it's a testimony about a lot of guys that have just been wrapped up in, in this specific expression of, of immorally giving yourself away to this fantasy, this numbing yourself from the reality that you don't have normal human relationships and, and aren't embracing in all the ways that God said and you're embracing something else that is filled with, with actors that themselves are, are addicted to drugs and alcohol and, 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 and self-loathing so that you for a moment can escape your own self-loathing. And so I would commend to you the movie, The Heart of Man. You can get it on Amazon or on iTunes or, or um, just get it and watch it. In, interlaced in there is a parable that's really, really well done. And what I want to do is show you some slides and images from that parable while I read to you from the same father that's in that parable. Because the parable just goes like this. There's a father and a son, and they make beautiful music together. They live in a, a paradisical setting. They're on an island, a tropical island, and there's great fellowship, and they make great music, and they love each other, and every need is met. And, and what's implied is that that father's going to keep meeting that son's need, which would include it someday uh, somebody to embrace. But, but, but before it's time, there was something that was alluring and beautiful to the son that called him to another island. And was he going to trust the beauty and the love that he had with the father? Or was he going to leave the father and go find what looked more life-giving somewhere else? And when I watched that movie, I immediately went back to the proverb you're going to read tomorrow. Proverbs 7. I'm going to read it to you today with some of those images behind it. My son. Proverbs 7, 1. Keep my words, treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye at the center of who you are. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister and call understanding your intimate friend so that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man like you, but he lacked sense. Passing through the street corner, 
near her house, she takes the way to her in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She's now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer my peace offerings. It was my cover. Today I've paid my vows. Therefore, I've come out to meet you to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Listen, I got to tell you, when I was a young man and I was reading through Proverbs every day, I had to skip Proverbs 7 because it was so seductive to me. I had been exposed extensively to pornography. And the images that as I read Proverbs 7, I was like, Oh, that's attractive. I knew exactly the seduction of this young man. Watch what he says. She says, let us delight ourselves with caresses. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. That sounds like trash I had read. He has taken a bag of money. Oh, at the full moon, he will come home with her many persuasions. She entices him with her flattering lips. She seduces him. I know you're looking at these images. And I want you to watch what happens in this parable as I read this now. We're in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 22. And immediately after that seductive image where he kisses her, this happens. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter or as one in fetters to the disciplines of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver and as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. It shows him vomiting right after he kissed this woman that he thought was going to be life-giving. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Do you see why the Father doesn't want you to follow that? Now, listen, gals, just track with me because you're like, okay, thanks, Todd. We're the seductress. We pull everybody away. No. Because right after Proverbs 7, it goes to Proverbs 8, and wisdom is personified as another woman. And she's beautiful. And God wants you to wedge yourself to her. But the woman of folly is boisterous. It's not females. It's, it's females who have a charm that's deceitful and a beauty that is vain. It's males that have a charm that is deceitful and, and strength that is in vain. But there is another beauty, and it's God's. And he wants you to discern it, and he wants you to go towards it. I mean, the adulteress is the iconic representation of it, but don't all of us, don't all of us give our hearts to something less than God, to evil and not good? That's, that's what Proverbs is begging you to avoid. Not so that you can be saved, but having been saved out of this wrong thinking that, that there is a way that's better than following your loving, benevolent, omniscient, kind father. Back to understanding all of his beauty and walking with him. Let me just um, say the reason that I, I, I read Proverbs 7, the reason I read Shonda's story is because this is, this is one of the characteristics of a skilled life. A skilled life I'm going to quote Cato the Elder. Who is Cato the Elder? Um, He lived 200 years before Christ. And Cato the Elder said this, wise men profit more from fools than fools from wise men. Because while wise men shun 
the foolishness or the mistakes of fools, fools do not imitate the successes of the wise. I wrote down myself this week as I was bleeding in bed, discernment is more than experience. It is the ability to live with the wisdom experience gives you without the scars that experience leaves. And I just thought to myself, I wish somebody, right? If you go to the Tampa Marriott, call me. And I, I've got a scar that will help you. And what God's saying is, Todd, I'll show you what to pull and I'll show you what to slide. I mean, you can mock and you can learn. This is what the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 10, a rebuke, which is just an admonishment, a teaching, goes deeper into one who is understanding than a hundred blows, Proverbs 17, said, 10 says, into a fool. A fool is going to continue to go back to that beating. What Proverbs does, Proverbs 24, 30 through 34, I'm not going to read on of time, but it basically, if I could sum it up, it just says, the wise man passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. I'm not reading it because I'm quoting it. And then it just goes on and it just says that, behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles and its stone walls were broken down. It describes a field that had not been tended to for a long time. And it says that I, I looked, I saw, I reflected upon it, I looked and I received instruction. In other words, I don't need to see by not tending my own field if it's going to work out well. That guy walked by the field of the sluggard. He knew his family was hungry and malnourished. He knew that he couldn't care and provide for himself. He knew that the rest of the community had to come alongside of him. He knew, oh, that's the sluggard's field. And when you live like a sluggard lives, then it ends in verse 34. It says, your poverty will come upon you like a robber and your want like an armed man. And so what he was saying is, I'm not going to live like a sluggard to know that a sluggard's way is not good. I am going to learn from others' experiences without the scars. Experience is a great teacher, guys. It's just a very expensive one. And you have a loving father who's just saying, can I just, can I help? Can I teach you? So you don't make horrible decisions in the horror show that is this world. J.I. Packer, who wrote the book, Knowing God, there's a quote I read, I remember from there, that is just so excellent. He says, we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. That's just cruel to do it that way. It's why it says, on the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. Proverbs, 14, uh, Proverbs 10, verse 13. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. What do you want? A rod to your back or discernment? Proverbs 13, 13, the one who despises the word and won't listen to a loving father who just says, son, I think I would. It says you'll be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Proverbs 13, 15, good understanding, which is the application of discernment, produces favor. But the way of the treacherous is hard. Life is hard. It is just harder if you're stupid. <laughs> That's Lieutenant Colonel Stryker from the movie Green Beret, played by John Wayne. That's who said that. But Proverbs 12.1 says a similar thing. <laughs> it says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. 
Proverbs helps me. And I know my loving father wants to help me. I know he wants it to go well with me. One of the things that I, I um, am reminded of all the time is just that, uh, you know, we shouldn't talk to snakes. <laughs> right? I learned that watching Jungle Book. <laughs> and then I learned it watching Genesis 3 played out in my life. Can I just tell you something? If something is seducing you because it, it looks good, it says it'll feel good, and it promises to make you more celebrated in the eyes of the world, you better take another look and deconstruct it. Because that's exactly the very first lie that was tossed to Eve. And Eve just needed to go, I don't talk to snakes. I talk to sovereign, loving, benevolent fathers. We don't need voices. We've got a verse. I remember, you know, as a kid, I grew up loving Coach John Wooden at UCLA. He used to say, there's a choice you make in everything you do. It was one of the things my dad, it spilled out of my dad's mouth a lot. My dad didn't know Bible, but he knew John Wooden, who knew Bible. And John Wooden said, there's a choice you make in everything you do, but just remember this, that in the end, the choice you make makes you. And John Wooden knew that there was just a better way to live, and it wasn't by living according to wise old coaches. It was by listening to a Sovereign ancient of days who has your best interests in mind, who wants it to go well with you. It won't go well with you if you don't know your king. You want to be the kind of person that in the midst of this world can go, the world's going this way, but as for me, I'm not. And the world should look at you and go, how do you always know? Right? What, what, what do we see in our society? We see such trouble because we see the breakdown in the home. We don't see a present loving father. And so young men who like what feels good, likes what looks good, and likes what's going to make them good or famous in the world's eyes, continue to go directions without a loving father to say, no, son. That's the way of death. Psalm 73, Asaph, started by just reminding himself, surely, verse one, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, scripture says. He says, but as for me, as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps almost slipped because I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But as for me, I stayed with God because I had a father who said, let me show you where it ends. Let me show you where this goes. And this is just something that I think um, all of us need to be reminded of. You've got to begin with the end in mind. It is how you move to highly effective living. Experiences, guys, um, are not evidences of truth. They are opportunities for discerning what is true. Let me just go all the way back to the spirit of discernment. One of the things that happens, this is now a different gift, but one of the things that I hear all the time when people go, no, I know that there's a prayer language because they talk about their experience. And all I want to just say to you is, hey, I don't want to argue with your experience, but I will have a discussion with you what you make of it. Based on the truth that a loving father has given me. 
And I just want to just insert this right here because it's just such a big deal. If I was the enemy and I could make you think when you're talking in nonsensical gibberish and babble, and that would be the key for you having an intimate relationship with God when you empty your mind and just let the spirit flow and you go, and that brings you close to God, I would sell that hard to you. It's just not there. And so when you see experiences, and sometimes, don't you, you have your friends going, come on, dude, this is the life. Jump in, the water's fine. Read Proverbs 1. That's exactly what Proverbs 1 is all about. They're trying to sell what they do. But there's no life there. It doesn't lead to life. It is true, it is true that past performance is the best predictor of future results. You hear it on the radio all the time, do you not? But can I just tell you, current results are not always the best predictor of ultimate outcomes. And people who know God live with ultimate outcomes in mind, courageously. The world says this is working, but as for me, I know it works. And sometimes the party is loud and it is going hard and you're like, dude, it looks like I'm missing out and you've got to go, but, but what do I know is true? And you want to be an Asaph kind of guy who just says, as for me, as for me. <sighs> discerning people are disciples and disciples are always discerning people. That's what, that's what God wants. Let me just take you very quickly to Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, where, where Jesus is going to explain something to you. In fact, the disciples look at Jesus and they go, we discern that there's something different about you. That your life is beautiful. Because remember what I told you? This is, this is what, in the series, you're going to see that this is what the, the characteristic is. This is the alternative to it. And Jesus is the full expression of it. And not only that, he is the provision for us. So that when we don't live that way, we can be reconciled to that God that loves us. But discerning people are disciples, and true disciples are discerning people. Jesus is, is discerned by his disciples to have a life that's different, and they go, what's the secret? And we think it's you're talking to the Father, because when Jesus was here, he didn't ever stop being God. He just didn't regard his equality with God a thing to be grasped, so he could identify with you. He never stopped being deity, but he added to his deity, the hypostatic union, theology nuts, the identity of humankind. He took on the form of men. And so he did not appeal to his own divinity to make his way through life. He did what men should do, which is to constantly pursue the will of the Father. And the disciples said, tell us, tell us how you do that. And they found him. And so he taught him to pray. He gave him a model prayer. We taught it to you this summer. But in Luke 11, when he gets done with that model prayer, he just says this. And let me just tell you guys this. You don't have to try and figure it out. Okay. God wants you to know how to live. And, and part of the way he wants you to know how to live is I'm here. I am the exact representation of his nature. And if you see me, you've seen the father. So live like me. But, but the father, he's going to tell you in just a moment, is going to give you the ability to discern that's even better. Watch this. He just goes on after that model prayer to say this. Suppose someone you have is a friend and that friend goes to another guy at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And the other guy says, I don't want to get a bed. Just leave me alone. Don't bother me. Verse eight, I tell you, even though the guy won't get up out of bed because he's his friend, yet because of the persistence of the guy who won't stop knocking because he needs the bread for his journey, eventually he'll get up and give him what he needs. So I say to you, if you ask, it'll be given to you. And if you seek, it'll find. And if you knock, it'll be open to you. And by the way, your father's not like that unconcerned friend. 
He is more desperate for you to have the bread of life and the food of life than you'll ever be to seek it. He goes on to say, if someone asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, watch this, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't there yet. There was no provision for it to come and... Let me correct that. The Holy Spirit was there. It just did not indwell people the way it does now because people were separate from God. The spirit of power came on people at different moments, but it didn't dwell with people. The only way the spirit of God dwells with people is when the people have been made holy, so the spirit of God cannot fellowship with that which isn't unfellowshipable. And so how does that happen? Answer, God places in us the righteousness of his son when we acknowledge and discern that we are not holy and righteous as he is. And we ask for mercy and God gives it to us. And then God's spirit is here. And the primary way that God's spirit is manifest in our life is that there's no longer this spirit in us which says, I don't need God. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. I think I'm smarter than him and I can live in my own. We stop to say, no, no, I'm a sinner. And the wages of my sin is death experientially. I lead to moral evil continually. Oh, I wish I wasn't a slave to this. And God set me free from the judgment that is to come and from having to just make judgments on my own and we're reconciled to him. Now watch. This is kind of the most complicated thing I say and I end with this. This is kind of a long summary statement for New Testament people who want to live in wisdom. It is this. People with the gift of discernment, not the one that I talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, but who are discerning. Know that discernment is a gift. So they continually seek the gift giver, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And they yield to the gift who has been given to all who believe and who illuminates his word so that we can be discerning. Now you look at that, and you kind of go, okay, what's all that mean? Here's what it means. It means that God has not left us here as orphans because wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus was our friend? And, and the answer is, well, he is our friend, but wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus was pastor of our church? And I'm going to say to you, no. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus was in your community group? And I'm going to say to you, no. Because if he's in your community group, it means he's not in mine. If he's having dinner with you tonight at Carabas, it means he's not having dinner with me at Carabas. And so I'm going to always be going, oh, I just wish I was in community with, with, with Todd and with the elders or with, with that person who's normal, not this bunch of banshees. <laughs> and then what Jesus says, it's better for you that I go, because if I go, I'm going to go to a place where I can pay for your sin. And because I pay for your sin, if you'll acknowledge you're a sinner, I'll reconcile you to God. And when I reconcile you to God, the thing which made me such an amazing friend is what's going to make you such amazing friends to one another. Let me read it to you in his words, John 14. I'm going to ask the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That helper is the spirit of truth. It's also called the Holy Spirit. Whom the world can't receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he'll be in you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, church. I will come to you. I, God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, like I, God, am here in the person of the Son. A little bit later, verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. You want to know how I think this way? These things I've spoken along with you while abiding with you, 
Here's how. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit gave Solomon the ability to teach you how to avoid moral evil. The Holy Spirit that comes will teach you the solution to your moral evil and then will allow you, if you make your decisions by leaning not on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledging him and not listen to a bunch of snakes, you can start to experience a little bit of Eden in the midst of the hard shell. And your marriages can be different and your cities can be different and you're still gonna have natural evil and you're still gonna have spiritual forces that attack you but you won't add to your own pain. And your obit will be different. They prayed faithfully. They lived courageously. They never surrendered. They were wise. Father, may that be our story. May we never surrender to the liar who wants us to be undiscerning and leads our life to the pit. So I thank you that tomorrow we're going to wake up and be reminded that there are all kinds of seductive voices calling us to leave you. And we can run to the eighth and remember that there's another voice that begs us to hear. I thank you that we got to hear that voice today. I pray we'd be discerning. We'd live skilled lives, not so that the world can be impressed with us, but so the world can see who you are as we live as your people. Lord, if there are people here just addicted to self and all that goes with it, would today be the day they run to you and experience the healing of the numbness of sin? Thank you for reminding us who you are. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together.